Welcome to Brooklyn's Members TV and Podcasts. I'm Tim Morris and I'm here today with Harry Sherrard. Now, Harry is the author of two articles uh, that have been recently published in the Brooklyn's Bulletin. Uh, they're looking at the effect of the Battle of Britain on Brooklyn's. Uh, of course, one of those effects was the terrible raid on the 4th of September 1940 and uh, Brooklyn's Museum are actually holding a service on the 80th anniversary of the attack uh, to commemorate those who lost their lives and were injured. Um, but today we'll be looking back 80 years and talking to Harry about the build-up to that raid and what actually happened on the day. Um, so Harry, uh, welcome. Thank you very much. Good to see you. Good to be on uh, Brooklyn's TV, Tim. Excellent. And um, Basically, Brooklyn's was a pretty active place um, before the war, uh, with German racing drivers and German airmen would be visiting the circuit and the airfield. Um, how much intelligence do you think that the Luftwaffe had about Brooklyn's prior to war being declared? Yeah, the Luftwaffe had uh, plenty of intelligence, as you say, German aviators and motorists were at Brooklands in the, in the run-up to the, the outbreak of the Second World War. And through the 1930s, although um, Hitler was uh, getting increasingly belligerent, there were near normal relations really between the countries. And so the, the Germans and the Luftwaffe in particular were completely aware of the Vickers and uh, the Hawker factory. Uh, to the extent that, that they were able to compile an, an intelligence sheet that they drew up on the site, uh, including uh, the, the, the factories and the other infrastructure, and it actually and, and a map as well. And it got down to specifics because they actually allocated target numbers to uh, sites at the at, at Brooklyn, so that the Vickers factory was target number GB seven four seven, and that the airfield was a target number one zero two eight. This all happened like six months before the war broke out. So, from that point of view, uh, the uh, early intelligence of the Luftwaffe was uh, was pretty comprehensive, actually. Clearly, Vickers and Hawkers were aware of that, and they were aware that you know, German drivers and airmen had been on site prior to hostilities breaking out. Um, were they preparing for a, a conflict as war approached? Um, what actions did they take specifically, really, to prepare for an attack on the premises? And as a follow-on to that, were there any other measures um, that the government were taking um, generally to prevent air attacks from the south coast? Well, t taking the questions in, in, in reverse order, so as far as the uh, defence of the Britain was concerned, yes, we, ha we had what was called the, the Dowding system, named after Air Chief Marshal Dowding, and that involved the installation of what we now know as radar installations all along the south coast and along the, the North Sea coast as well. Back then it was called radio direction finding or RDF. Uh, the, the word radar was uh, kind of thought up uh, later. So in, in brief, the system was that RDF would pick up radars coming across the English Channel. But what I think a lot of people don't realize about radar or RDF was that it only looked out over sea. And as soon as German radars crossed the coastline and were actually over uh, southern England, uh, radar actually had no role to play. Uh, and it actually fell into the observer corps and that they had various stations all along the south coast armed with binoculars and a little instrument that they could look up uh, and visually to, uh, see the planes flying overhead. They could estimate their numbers, their speed, their direction. 
all of this information from first the radar and then observer core was then fed into a central command and control system. They analyzed the information. They in turn fed out instructions to the various RAF bases. They would then scramble fighters to uh, meet uh, the, the incoming radars. And that command and control system and the doubting system was absolutely uh, crucial in the Battle of Britain. There's a few myths about radar at that period. So, some people say or some people think that the Germans didn't have radar and they didn't know what radar was, which isn't actually true. The Germans knew exactly what radar was and how it worked. and They had their own radar. But what they didn't understand was the, the command and control system that I just mentioned. They thought that the radar installations were all localized and they just were able to inform RAF stations in their immediate vicinity. What they didn't realize was all this information was fed up to a central command and control system and then the information uh, sent back down the line as I just described. So it was a very important aspect of the, uh, the Battle of Britain. So turning to, to Brooklands itself, um, in the interwar years, one area that was neglected really was anti-aircraft weapons, anti-aircraft guns, and really there weren't anything like enough anti-aircraft weapons available. But some were installed um, at Brooklands and around the, the, the Waybridge and Adelston area. So there was a certain amount of anti-aircraft uh, fire available for incoming raiders. But there was no way in which those anti-aircraft guns were going to be able to, to fight off a full-on raid. So going back to the doubting system, the real key to defence of Brooklands was, was early warning, knowing where the radars were, the raiders were, where they were coming from, and attacking them with other aircraft before they even got to Brooklands, because uh, Brooklands was undoubtedly um, uh, extremely vulnerable. So in addition to the regular army putting uh, gun emplacements around the place, uh, the, the Vickers employees formed a unit of the Home Guard. Uh, we, we all know about Dad's army and, uh, and, and so forth, but uh, in actual fact that portrays uh, maybe a, a, an uncharitable version of the Home Guard. They actually in many ways were more effective than, uh, than the, the legend of Dad's army would, would suggest. So there was a unit of, uh, of Home Guard formed, and uh, because Vickers had connections with the armament industry, they were actually um, quite, well, uh, quite well armed in actual fact, and they had uh, guns uh, placed on the, on the roof of the Vickers factory. Um, six Bren guns and uh, twin Brownings were installed up there uh, to, uh, to uh, take part in, in the defensive measures if there, if there was a German raid. So there were certainly, as I said, a, a level of armaments around the site, etc. but still it was very vulnerable. Clearly, but it doesn't seem an awful lot to me and knowing what was coming. Um, I'm sure, sure they could have done quite a lot more really to try and protect Brooklands. It was such an obvious target from the air being a great oval. Yeah, well, we'll maybe come on to that later in the talk because the, the, the oval was disguised and camouflaged to some extent early on in the war prior to the uh, Battle of Britain and prior to the big raid on the 4th of September. But after that raid, a lot more was done to camouflage. Okay. Um, you gave a talk on Operation Sea Lion to the members last year. I just wonder if you can tell us a little bit about that and how that particular operation led to the Battle of Britain. Yeah, the, the, the Battle of Britain is, is, is very well known and most people, I guess, have seen the movie and they know the, the broad story of, of the Battle of Britain. What is less well known is um, Operation Sea Lion. Um, Going back in time, we, we, we all know about Dunkirk and the, the Germans reached the, uh, the French coastline very quickly. Britain uh, evacuated over 300 troops, Allied troops from the, the French beaches and so forth. But in truth, the, the Germans actually reached the French coast much quicker than they actually re expected themselves. 
and they didn't have equipment and they didn't really have a plan for a, a cross-channel invasion. So again, many people would probably have seen the, the movie uh, Darkest Hour in the last couple of years. Um, Hitler didn't really want to invade or attack Britain if he didn't have to. So he made overtures and tried to get Churchill to agree to terms, to a uh, peace treaty with the Germans. Hitler, or Churchill, of course, as we know from that, from that movie, uh, he was, of course, implacably opposed to that, and he rejected any suggestion um, of, of appeasement. So the Germans then realized by about July or so that there wasn't going to be any uh, treaty with the, the, the British, and therefore an invasion was going to be necessary. So they had to use a lot of uh, barges and other um, craft that they had in, in the Rhine and other uh, Central European rivers, because we're, we're quite familiar in 1944 landing craft, all landing on the beaches of Normandy and the doors coming down and troops and machinery coming out. That, that equipment didn't exist in 1940. There weren't any landing craft. So the Germans had to improvise and use um, what, a, what, what equipment they had. And uh, they, they gradually uh, built up a, uh, an invasion force in the, the French and Belgian ports through the summer of 1940 with a view to um, trying to launch some kind of an invasion in uh, September or, 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 or maybe October. So the, the Royal Navy was actually very strong and um, some Royal Navy veterans, they feel sort of slightly left out of the story, if you like, because you know the, the fact that the Royal Navy in the Channel was so strong and so much stronger than the German Navy was, it was a major factor in all of this um, because without air superiority, uh, there was no chance at all of the German invasion fleet uh, getting across the channel. It undoubtedly would have been knocked out by the Navy. So a prerequisite of even trying the invasion had to be air superiority. Uh, and really that set the stage, therefore, for uh, the Battle of Britain and uh, the attempt by the Luftwaffe to destroy uh, British air bases and uh, the fighter command so that they could uh, get this air, air superiority as a prerequisite um, to, the, uh, to, to the invasion. Okay, uh, as part of that, there was an attack on Brooklands, as we've mentioned. Um, main attack came on the 4th of September 1940. But was that the first time that Brooklands had been attacked from the air? No, there was a, a smaller attack on, on the 24th of July um, 1940. There was a, a single a, a Dornier bomber dropped about 18 bombs. and Quite a few of them missed. They kind of exploded harmlessly. But uh, five of them exploded on the track, and uh, some of them were quite near uh, the, the, the Vickers factory. So it did cause a bit of damage to the, the infrastructure of, uh, of Brooklands, but uh, not, not really too much. And uh, the, the guns, the anti-aircraft guns that I mentioned earlier on, they, they did open up and they did fire at the Dornier, but uh, none, none of them hit it. They didn't succeed in hitting the bomber, which, uh, which went off after the, after the bombs were dropped. Um, was there much damage done on that occasion, or is it...? No, there, there, there wasn't a great deal of damage done. Um, there's always, a, and we'll come on to this again later on, but there, there, there's a difference between uh, what might look as if there's a level of visible damage, but actual material damage to the equipment. So in terms of the latter, there wasn't really any damage done to the actual aircraft producing machinery, uh, but you know, a little bit of damage done to the, uh, to, the, to the infrastructure generally. But that raid was relatively minor, of course, it was a, it was a foretaste of, of things to come. Mm, which uh, indeed came on, on the 4th of September. Um, that would have been a normal working day for the factories at Brooklands. Uh, could you actually talk us through what happened uh, leading up to the raid and the raid itself? I'm sure it was, it was very quick. Yeah, well, the, 
the first point is that it was a very carefully planned and executed raid specifically targeting the Vickers factory at Brooklands. So there's no question of the Germans coming over, just r roaming across southern England and saying, look, that looks like an interesting target, let's bomb there. Um, it was absolutely planned um, from, the, from the start as a, 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 an attack not just on Brooklyn's, Brooklyn's, but specifically the Vickers factory. So the aircraft they used was the, the Messerschmitt 110, which it was a, a twin seat, a twin engine, primarily used as a fighter, but it could also be put into a light bomber specification. So a group of uh, the, the, the Luftwaffe that specialized in uh, low altitude, high speed bombing uh, were, were equipped with these 110s and they were targeted, there were 14 of them, and they were all briefed at an airbase in northern France that morning that, that their target was going to be a, a Vickers factory, and they were given obviously all the navigation coordinates and so forth um, to get there. But in addition to the 14 attackers, there were also a large number of uh, diversionary aircraft. They were all also Messerschmitt 110s, and the total force that took off from that northern France was, was about 100 in fact, and they all um, obviously headed towards the south coast. They're picked up by radar and RAF fighter squadrons were scrambled and that various dogfights took place and a number of the 110s were shot down. But the actual raiding party, they only lost one aircraft out of the 14. The other 13 were, were unscathed and they headed off in, at low altitude in uh, the direction of Brooklands. Now, the, the other diversionary 110s did, I guess, a pretty good job. Um, it was a pretty sunny, warm day, but there's quite a lot of haze in the sky. So I mentioned earlier on that once the raiders had crossed the coastline, so they had given that diversion to the raiders to get inside the, uh, the RDF, the radar screen. So they're now inland and we're now relying on the observers to follow them. That's very difficult uh, with binoculars and, and the naked eye, trying to follow aircraft on a high altitude in, in, in a sunny day. Uh, and the truth of it is that the, the 13 radars raiders were, were completely missed. And the uh, diversionary tactics by the other 110s effectively were, were successful. So the, uh, the 13 raiders arrived at Brooklyn's at low altitude, um, came out of the sun, and they were um, completely undetected. So I mentioned earlier on about the, uh, the guns that were uh, installed at Brooklyn's, including the Home Guard and the, the guns on the uh, roof of Vickers factory. But unfortunately, none of them were actually able to brought to bear on the radars because the whole thing just happened so quickly. So they'd set off from Northern France kind of late morning. I don't think they planned it necessarily in this precise way as, as how it turned out. I don't think they could have done really, but they'd set off from France late morning. So when they arrived at Brooklands, it was the, the, the end of lunchtime and the Vickers factory operated a, a clocking in and clocking out system. And uh, many of the employees had stayed outside to kind of gather as much of the late summer sunshine as they could, but many of the employees were queuing in the area where there was the, the, the clocking in mechanism to, uh, to clock back in after their, their, their lunch break. And by, by fluke, by a pretty um, disastrous fluke, uh, one of the bombs dropped by one of the 110s uh, burst through the, the factory uh, uh, roof and it actually exploded quite near the, the clocking in system. And that rather tragically, there was a large concentration of workers in that area 
And of course, a lot of them were obviously killed on by, by that explosion. Uh, there was nearly 90 workers were, were, were killed by the explosion and uh, about 400 were, were, were injured. Yeah, certainly it was a terrible day, really. Um, but I gather that production did actually resume fairly quickly after the raid. Um, perhaps you can tell us what effect on production there was and what further measures were then put in place uh, to improve the defence of the site and minimise any further loss of production. Yeah, the, um, <clears throat> the machine shop and the wing shop and the repair hangar were, were all damaged. And uh, when members get their, their bulletin, <clears throat> excuse me, and look at the photographs, superficially you say, my goodness, the place was absolutely destroyed. Um, and certainly it does look like a, a scene of absolute devastation with all the, the there was a glass roof element to it and everything and all of that smashed up. So it does look terrible. Um, but it is, there really is two different things. Destroying the fabric of a, of a, of a factory is you know, relatively easy by, by dropping some bombs on it. But unless you're scoring direct hits inside the factory, you're not necessarily doing an awful lot of damage to the actual aircraft production machinery. Uh, and the reality is that the, none of the bombs really did this damage uh, any of that, that essential machinery uh, within the factory. So there was a, obviously a massive um, clearing up operation that went on uh, to, to clear up all, all of, all of that uh, uh, damage to the, the, the fabric. But the uh, uh, Brooklyn staff quickly realized that in actual fact, the main machinery hadn't been damaged and they were able to get everything up and running again within uh, really not, not, not that many days. The all production at that time was based in the, in the main factory, which was the one alongside the finishing straight. Yeah, that, that, that's correct. Anybody who is uh, familiar with immediate pre-war photographs or film of uh, racing events taking place at Brooklands, you'll always see the very large letters of, of Vickers on, on the wall, as you say, on that, that large factory just alongside that, the, the, the finishing straight. So, yeah, so production really uh, got, got back going again, re really within a, a number of days. But uh, the, the key measure that uh, the management took at, at the insistence, obviously, of the, of the air ministry was a dispersal. And so rather than having all of the uh, production at that one site and obviously in, in continuing to be in, in a rather vulnerable place, um, a, a program of requisition of, of suitable buildings was, was undertaken very quickly and uh, machinery was removed from the factory and taken to all kinds of buildings. So warehouses, garages, engineering works, um, even a film studio uh, in the local area was actually requisitioned and uh, the machinery and the workers that operated that machinery were then based over, over quite a wide area. Um, and even uh, Windsor Great Park had a, a small satellite factory uh, in, in installed within it. Um, so production continued uh, pretty much apace, uh, very, very little introduction, uh, in, interruption or even reduction in the number of Wellington bombers and, and other aircraft being produced at that time. And it actually reminds me a little bit of uh, the current situation that we're in at the moment, the way workers have been dispersed and everybody's now working from home rather than uh, working in a, in, in a central location. It almost has a analogous with what uh, Vickers did. And just as uh, we have been able to, to manage through the, the crisis today, uh, Vickers managed then uh, with, with a dispersed workforce and a dispersed factory to, uh, to carry on uh, producing. Um, but, as, but as far as the site itself was concerned, um, Obviously, defensive measures were, were ramped up 
uh, more uh, anti-aircraft guns were installed, but the main measure that was taken really was was camouflage. So, as you mentioned, Tim, I've put two articles in the the members' bulletin. So, if, if members go back to the, to the earlier bulletin where I was writing about the role of Brooklyn in the Battle of Britain, there's a number of photographs within that article that shows the camouflage um, that was installed. So there there were fake buildings, fake fake hangars. And some rail buildings as well were actually installed, uh, but you know that weren't actually material to the, the production. Um, there was all sorts of netting put up over the top of the track, so that, as, as you mentioned earlier on, this uh, oval was very uh, visible um, from the sky. Oval was disguised by, by the netting, and various um, other measures were taken so that uh, it, it wasn't uh, nearly so uh, so obvious a target. As far as other defensive measures are concerned, there were various barrage balloons uh, were, were, were put up. So a balloon would go uh, at about aircraft flying height uh, above uh, Brooklyn's with, with a chain running down to the ground. And if an aircraft came in, they, they would obviously have to try to avoid the balloons. But if they tangle up with the balloons, uh, the, the chain potentially could destroy the aircraft and, and, and bring it down. So they were uh, obviously a deterrent, therefore, for, uh, for any uh, further uh, Luftwaffe raiders. Yeah, uh, just going back to the raid itself, we, we talked about the Vickers factory. Um, obviously, Hawkers had a factory on site as well. Was that, was that actually affected? No, that, that was unaffected by, by, by that raid. It actually, uh, very specifically, and there is a surviving logbook from one of the, the, uh, the 13 raiders that actually went, went in that day, the Luftwaffe pilots, and uh, in his logbook, it clearly says Vickers, Brooklyn's as the target. So maybe they had a plan potentially further down the line to attack the Hawker factory. But uh, certainly on that day, on the 4th of September, it was very specifically targeted at Vickers. So they, they were specifically after Wellington production, presumably bomber production rather than fighter production. Yeah, I mean, going back to what I was saying about the Battle of Britain generally and, uh, and Operation Sea Lion, um, one aspect of that, that period, which isn't all that well known is that Bomber Command were very heavily involved in uh, defensive measures too, using uh, the uh, Brooklyn's built Vickers uh, Wellingtons. We all know about Fighter Command tangling with the, the Messerschmitt 109s over southern England and the dogfights and so forth. It's, as I said, it's a, a very well-recognized story. But as I mentioned, uh, the Germans were amassing an invasion, ra an, an, an invasion raiding party in uh, the Channel ports. With, uh, with these barges and various other aircraft. And uh, Bomber Command were therefore dropping bombs along uh, the, the, the French and Belgian ports to try to destroy the, the invasion force. And you know, it was a relatively early stage in the war. Um, the, the bomber pilots were, uh, were pretty inexperienced. And unlike uh, the Southern England, the, the Germans actually had lots of what, what they came to known as ACAC guns, anti-aircraft guns. So um, they were inflicting a pretty heavy toll on the, the uh, Wellington pilots. So yes, yeah, so coming back to your question, um, the, the Germans were obviously aware that in order to protect their invasion fleet, uh, they had to limit as much as possible the activities of, of Bomber Command. And one way of doing that was to go back to, to source, as it were, to go back to the, the uh, Vickers factory, destroy that, and therefore prevent the, the production of, of Wellingtons and, and thereby um, protect the, uh, the invasion fleet from, from further attacks. Yeah, that, that would certainly make sense. Um, if you're a visitor going to Brooklyn's today, 
Um, is there anything that's on site now that can re um, remind you of the defence measures that were taken? Yeah, one one of the uh, the big gun emplacements is up near the uh, the, the, the members' bridge, the Bofors gun, a, a Swedish word. Um, they were imported from from Sweden in, in the interwar years, and the, uh, the the installation is is still actually visible up there. Um, also along the finishing strip is the the air raid shelter, which uh, is uh, probably you know in, inadequate really if you think in terms of the magnitude of the potential of a raid in Brooklyn. It was a relatively uh, relatively small raid. So those two things are still visible, but uh, but not not really very much else, because obviously the uh, Vickers factory itself is is long gone. As you've gathered, you know from from the story, you know the uh, the authorities at Brooklyn's had taken some defensive measures, but they were badly caught out really by the by the magnitude and the intensity and the accuracy of uh, of, of this attack. I mean, really, it was their their worst nightmare unfolding when the, when the attack took place and. It was after that then that they realised that they really would have to ramp up uh, defensive measures in, in all the different different ways that we mentioned. Yeah, of course, there were the two uh, large hangars, that were one on the finishing straight and one underneath the members' bridge, uh, which were the dispersal hangars for Wellington uh, production. Um, I think those um, air raid shelters were probably built in conjunction with those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those, those hangers, the, the Bellman hangar that stood in the, the finishing strip for, for for nearly seventy years, and then was removed in the last few years to uh, when the, the finishing strip was restored. That that was certainly built after uh, the, the, this period. And again, as you say, it was all part of this process of dispersing and spreading out production rather than having one large, um, easily identifiable target. Yeah, it certainly does seem logical to do that uh, when you think about it in hindsight. Uh, they obviously didn't think about it beforehand. But, uh, yeah, I believe that places such as um, Woolworths in the High Street and Weybridge were also used. So they were using not only small garages, um, warehouses and things like that in the local area, but even shops. Yeah, it's, it's remarkable, really, the, the, the extent of the, uh, the, the dispersal. And obviously, we're talking about Brooklyn specifically, but other manufacturers did similar kinds of things. So Supermarine, for example, who were building the Spitfire down in Southampton, again, Obviously, they were rather spooked by by the Brooklyn's raid, and uh, they they of course were, were attacked as well. Uh, and all aircraft manufacturers did uh, similar things. So again, around the, the Southampton area, there were various shops and all sorts of premises building parts of uh, Spitfires that were then uh, brought to a central location and, and and then assembled. A very similar thing going on in the in the, in the Weybridge area. The, the the airfield, of course, was you could only only disguise an airfield to a certain extent, and and obviously these these aircraft that were being built at Brooklands were being flown out of Brooklands, so so therefore you know the the, the airfield itself had to uh, had to remain operative um through, through throughout the whole period. But uh, remember, the the raid itself took probably less than three minutes. Uh, by the time you know the, the raiders were were, were first seen um, coming over the boundary of Brooklands. Obviously, the klaxon alarm was set off, um, but you know, as as we said earlier on, um, it all happened so quickly that um, none of the guns actually were brought to bear on the radars at all. So when when they when they they left Brooklyn's, the the 13 aircraft that attacked it, they they reformed then with their uh, diversionary aircraft that I mentioned earlier, the other 110s, and that they set off then to fly back to France. The fighter commander, of course 
very much on the alert now. They realised the uh, attack on Brooklands had taken place and they scrambled uh, hurricanes, also built at Brooklands, of course, but they scrambled um, a squadron of hurricanes um, from uh, RAF Kenley and they then engaged the uh, the 110s as they, they flew south uh, towards France. Um, they did succeed in uh, shooting down a number of uh, the German aircraft. So it was a costly raid really for the Luftwaffe as well, uh, because on, on the way in and the way out, they lost a total of, of 15 aircraft um, destroyed. Um, some pilots uh, bailed out and, and survived, but a total of 17 German uh, Luftwaffe crew lost their lives in this raid. So as I said, it was actually pretty costly for the, for the Germans as well. Um, one notable point though is that of all the, the uh, 110s shot down on the way back to France, none of them were the actual raiders. So the 13 aircraft that had bombed Brooklands all landed safely um, back at their, at their bases in France. It was only the, the escorts that were, were, not, were not knocked down. And obviously they, in doing that, they, they fulfilled their purpose. Um, following that raid, were, were there any more air raids on, on Brooklands at all? Yeah, there was a reasonably uh, large air raid on, on the 6th of September, just a couple of days later. Um, again, al also attacked by uh, 110s and also some Junkers uh, 88s. Uh, they attacked the Hawker fa uh, factory uh, and there was a, an unexploded bomb that fell, which could have done a lot of damage. So with a bit of courage from that uh, bomb disposal, the, uh, the bomb was, uh, was, was deactivated and, and, and removed. It could have caused a fair bit of damage, in fact. Um, but really the story at the, the uh, uh, Hawker factory was similar in the sense that whilst there was damage to the infrastructure of the building and superficially, you know, it looked as if the raid had been quite successful. In actual fact, um, there was very little damage done to the, the actual machinery inside the factory. So production of hurricanes was uh, relatively uh, uh, mildly um, interrupted and again they, they got going again within within a few days. So there were uh, another couple of little attacks there but this was 1940 and obviously the war continued quite a bit longer than that. Um, they were still making Wellingtons, other aircraft, Hurricanes in great quantity at Brooklands. Why did they not attack again? Well, yeah, yeah. Towards the end of well, middle of September, twenty first of September, there was a single Luftwaffe aircraft that um, dropped a couple of bombs on the on the Hawker factory. Did a little bit of damage again, but didn't uh, once again really seriously uh, disrupt uh, production. Well, the, the 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 answer to your question, Tim, really is because of a, a major change in uh, strategy by the Germans, which of course in the long run turned out to be um, completely disastrous for them. Um, they had tried, as I, as I mentioned earlier, all through the summer months to destroy the RAF, both in the air and on the ground, by attacking the RAF bases and RAF infrastructure generally. Uh, but their intelligence on the number of RAF aircraft was quite poor, and they kept thinking that the breakthrough was just around the corner. But of course, squadrons were coming down from the Midlands and from the north, and uh, even if squadrons were badly damaged in the, in the south, there were uh, sufficient resources to uh, re rearm them. Um, and another point to make is that even at this stage, uh, the German economy was not on a full war footing, whilst arguably Britain actually was. And through this period of the summer, uh, Lord Beaverbrook had taken over aircraft uh, production ministry, uh, and he was a, a very capable man manager. And we were actually producing more 
Hurricanes and Spitfires in particular than the Germans actually were producing fighters. So our production was actually um, st stemming the flow, if you like. So in frustration, the Germans realized that they were never going to knock out uh, the uh, fighter command in the kind of uh, attritional warfare that they thought they would uh, through the summer months. So in September, there was a major change of strategy and uh, they decided to attack London. Now, that was obviously um, disastrous for the, the residents of London and that led to the period that we know as the, the, the Blitz. Uh, up until that point, Hitler, of course, had walked into Paris, the, uh, an undamaged Paris. He'd uh, conquered France without any bombs or any uh, fighting actually taking place in Paris itself. He'd hoped through the Battle of Britain that he could do the same thing and that he could walk into an undamaged London as uh, the conqueror. And that's why the bomber crews were, were prevented and they were ordered not to actually damage London for, uh, for, for many months. But as I said, in the middle of September, that completely changed. And uh, rather than attacking fighter bases and trying to actually engage the fighters directly, um, they uh, attacked London in, uh, in large numbers. Now, history, of course, tells us that that kind of area bombing, and the same applies really for the, uh, the RAF, who and the Americans later in the war, of course, who bombed Germany. You know, that kind of aerial bombing of, of cities and civilian centers and so forth causes tremendous loss of life and, uh, and carnage on the ground. But it actually doesn't do a lot to damage the opponent's war effort. And as we've said a number of times or, or, or earlier uh, in, in this talk, the production of Wellingtons and Spitfires and Hurricanes, you know, continued unabated, you know, despite uh, the, the aerial attacks and, and really attacking cities, didn't do an awful lot to damage the, the, the British war effort. So production carried on. Um, then the other big event really that took place was in uh, the spring then of 1941. Hitler, of course, then and the German forces attacked Russia uh, and his attention really was taken away from Britain and um, a lot of the Luftwaffe resources were, of course, diverted east, as they had to be to support um, Operation Barbarossa and the attack in the east. Really, Britain stopped being a priority in that sense, and the big priority became um, attacking Russia and trying to, uh, to, to reach Moscow and, and, and conquer in the east. And, yeah, I mean, clearly it was a, a major, major blunder on the part of the Germans. In, in the short term, as you say, Tim, it enabled... Brooklands and other factories to continue to produce aircraft. Um, in the medium term, England, of course, was one one great big runway from which those aircraft could take off and and attack Germany. And had the Germans successfully taken Britain out of the war, then that wouldn't have been the case. How, how could we have actually attacked mainland Germany? It would have been uh, uh, really impossible in the early and middle uh, stages of the war. And of course, the other reason then was uh, was D-Day, as I mentioned briefly earlier on. Uh, in uh, June 1944, uh, the Americans and the other Allied forces were able to amass on uh, Britain and then depart the invasion force on the 6th of June from, from the south southern England and uh, invade mainland Europe and France initially and obviously onto Germany then. Well, again, if Britain had been taken out of the war, then that launch pad wouldn't have been available for the, uh, the, the invading forces. So when you look back on it, it was really a, a catastrophic decision from the Germans' point of view to start bombing uh, British cities and not actually to try to um, destroy the RAF and, uh, and to mount an invasion. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> I think it was a turning point in the war, really, wasn't it? 
Okay, uh, well, thank you very much for that, Harry, uh, for that insight into Brooklands and the Battle of Britain, and particularly the, the raid on the 4th of September, um, which we are marking the 80th anniversary of uh, on the 4th of September with a special service at Brooklands. Uh, you can read Harry's articles in the July and September editions of the Brooklands Bulletin. And of course, that is only available to Brooklands members as part of your membership benefits. Thank you very much, Harry. Thank you very much, Tim. It's been uh, good talking with you. Thanks a lot. Thank you.